0: Every year I share this, uh, this essay with you Because I, I like it David Breitenbeck wrote this back in 2018 After four decades of sequels, imitations, parodies and remakes It can be a little surprising to return To the original Halloween And find what a unique film it truly is The story is of course familiar Six year old Michael Myers Suddenly stabs his sister to death on Halloween And is committed to an insane asylum for life Exactly 15 years later, he escapes and returns to his hometown of Haddonfield where he targets shy teenager Laurie Strode, played by the then unknown Jamie Lee Curtis, and her two friends, Annie and Linda. Meanwhile, his therapist, Dr. Loomis, Donald Pleasance, Pleasance, who alone who alone knows what Myers truly is, tries to hunt him down and stop him. You know, another fun fact about this, Donald Pleasance did not want this role. Much like uh, Sir Alec Guinness did not want to play Obi-Wan Kenobi, but the studio conned him into it and said, "Hey, man, we'll give you a percentage of the profit." <laughs> this movie is not gonna make any money. Yeah, yes, yeah, sir. We'll give you the, a percentage of the profits. And that's when Sir Alec Guinness, then the then converted to the faith Catholic, went, "Okay, I'll do it." You can't win, the well, Donald Pleasance, if you'll remember, was the the, the mild mannered, meek kind of legally blind guy, in Steve McQueen's *The Great Escape*. Uh, he was an A-list character actor in Hollywood. He had uh, he's in, he was in a, a bunch of. Did you know, for example, that Donald Pleasance was a star in *Lucas's First Film*? THX. What is it? I think it's 476. Don't don't quote me on that. I know it was THX something. So Donald Pleasance didn't want the role, but the studio said, look, we think this is going to be big. You should do it. And so he did. Watching Halloween and knowing what came after is an interesting experience. The film was copied so much that it essentially spawned an entire subgenre of blood-soaked films wherein masked serial killers stalked and murdered promiscuous teenagers in ever more lurid ways. And again I'm reading from a 2018 piece that was in the federalist.com um, uh, okay, Maggie. Let, let, let me get you all the links uh, okay, so, okay. so you can get it in. The, I have it. I have it. No, you're going to take it and like it. You're going to use my link and not the one that you found. But Halloween is a very different animal from its imitators or even in its own sequels. Its power does not lie in its gore or its body count. In fact, it's almost entirely bloodless, but in its ideas and implications. What became tired and ridiculous tropes, the killer who seemingly can't be killed, who always wears a mask, who preys on teenagers, etc., etc., are here carefully considered writing choices with a clear purpose as clues pointing to the true nature of the thing that was Michael Myers. Here I am regarding this film as an isolated work without consideration of any of the sequels. And especially without considering a revelation in the second film regarding Myers' relationship with Strode. And how John Carpenter claims this development was the result of trying to fight writer's block with daily six-packs of beer, which I have no trouble believing. Halloween was never meant to have a sequel, and it is best enjoyed as such. To understand this film, it is necessary to understand its monster. The Thing in Halloween is usually referred to as Michael Myers, the name of the young boy in the opening scene. However, that is not how Nick Castle is credited. Nick Castle is the actor that played Michael Myers. In the screenplay, he is listed as playing The Shape. Breitenbeck says, what is a shape? It is form without matter. A circle has the same nature, whether rendered in wood, ink, smoke, or mathematical notation. Thus the shape in Halloween is some form or reality that can materialize in many different ways, but always with the same nature. Taken with Dr. Loomis's pronouncement of the shape's inhuman nature, and especially with this final exchange with Strode. It was the boogeyman, she says, and he replies, It was the boogeyman. And he replies, As a matter of fact, it was. The implication is that the shape is in fact a supernatural manifestation of evil. It isn't Myers. He is only the material the shape uses to give itself substance. This is why it always wears a mask to the point that when Laurie briefly tears it off, the shape pauses its assault to redon the mask. The shape needs a disguise to give itself substance. It needs a mask of some sort. Even Myers himself is the shape's mask. This, of course, explains everything. The shape cannot be killed because it's not a person, but a supernatural entity. This is the same reason that is it has inhuman strength, strength enough to effortlessly strangle a German shepherd with his bare hands, and some of and some power over its environment. It seems able to lock and unlock doors from a distance. It also explains the shape's. Eerily unnatural behavior Not just its senseless murders But the way it simply does strange things at times Such as when it appears in front of Linda Wearing a ghost costume And then just stands there Or when after dispatching another victim It pauses and thoughtfully tilts its head Back and forth As though studying its handiwork you know, I always saw it, and I saw Halloween in the theater in 1978. Because you're old. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Peanut gallery. Peanut gallery. In 1978, my uh, my mother, or 1979 rather, my mother. In a fit of irresponsibility Decided that it was okay <laughs> To take me Then 17 year old Or 16 year old I forget And my 15 year old sister And my 19 year old sister To the movies Hey yes let gonna spend the night before Halloween October the 30th I forget that which theater we went to To go see Halloween well, let me tell you the end result. My mother had five children in her bed that night. <laughs> and she was scared, or there were four children in her bed, one who didn't know why he was scared, because he didn't go. Uh, <laughs> and then an angry stepfather coming home, uh, working a late shift at 4 a.m., demanding, what the hell are y'all doing in my bed? Folks, I couldn't sleep for weeks after watching Halloween. It was that creepy and that's scary. Now, that's an effective piece of film. Now, there may be some of you in uh, the Pettifogging 476 chat room that were teenagers at the time and saw Halloween in the theater because we had never seen anything remotely like that. There was nothing on cinema. Psycho doesn't even come close. And some people say, it's a Psycho, that's the kind of psychological horror. It's the scariest thing ever made. No, it's not. The original Halloween, with its nuance and with the shape running around, was terrifying. That music, combined with Carpenter's deft direction, very, very under. uh, 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 not trying to force the characters into doing things. Just kind of letting them play the parts as innocent teenagers. And, of course, all the adults around them being oblivious to what's going on. And then, you know, the, 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 the having My, uh, Myers, and you know the whole legend about that thing, there, the mask that Michael, that the shape is wearing, that's a Captain Kirk mask that <laughs> they just spray painted white to make it look creepy. But, you know, when he shows up, like when she's walking home from school and he's, he, he comes out from behind the very tall hedges, and then when she turns around, he's gone. And then all this stuff. Ultimate creep. It was so well done that afterwards John Carpenter is one of the few that could say and that the studios would let him get away with when, when he would make another film it would be John Carpenter's The Fog. And by the way, The Fog was very well done. That was a creepy film, which came out a year or two after Halloween. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, for example. John Carpenter's They Live. But that scene where he holds the young guy up against the wall and then plunges the large butcher knife right through the sternum of his rib cage and then basically hangs the kid on the butcher knife like he's like he's hanging a pair of pants up or a coat up in a closet. And then he sits there and he stares at him and kind of goes Yeah, radio, you didn't see that, but on TV, you did. Fortunately, Creepy. And you're wondering, like, what the hell is wrong with this? Likewise, there doesn't seem to be any point to much of, the behavior, of its behavior. For example, why the tableau with Annie's body and Judith Myers' gravestone? Or for that matter, why is it targeting Lori at all? The shape, whatever its nature, is operated on a clearly alien mentality to anything we, the audience, can understand. It is inhuman. None of this is explicitly spelled out in the film, but the implications are all there, particularly in Loomis's dialogue. The shape represents evil itself, or at least the potential for evil that lurks in every community. This brings us to Haddonfield and its inhabitants A large part of the power of Halloween Comes from how persuasively ordinary The setting and characters are By the way, another little tidbit from the, uh, uh, the making of the DVD That film is not made in Illinois It was made in Burbank If you look carefully in some of the scenes You will see the 60 foot tall Oasis palm trees In the background that you will see dotting Rodeo Drive In Beverly Hills or in Barbank Haddonfield is the kind of quiet, peaceful little town Where just about everyone knows everyone Kids walk to school unsupervised And teenagers get jobs babysitting their neighbor's children Likewise, Strode and her two friends Are presented as perfectly normal teenagers Possibly the most convincing Such ever to appear in a horror film Lori is more shy and studious than her two friends, but she envies rather than disapproves of their behavior, and they, in turn, don't tease her for her reticence and try to help her break out of her shell. Lori is smart and responsible, with a great relationship with her young charge, Tommy. (laughs) See, it's the origin, this all really is the origin of Tommy's story. Tommy. Tommy. But not above sharing a point with Linda on her way to a babysitting job In other words, she's a normal person, a good kid, but not idealized And then um, why the original Halloween movie, uh, uh, movie's horror is ageless by David Breitenbeck And then Breitenbeck says This is exactly where the horror lies Lori's a perfectly decent, ordinary teenager Of the kind you would meet in any school in any town in America And she ends up the target of an unthinkably evil force And for no other reason than she happened to cross his path There is a, qu- a queasily real-world quality To much of the early stages of Laurie's ordeal The shape follows her around town Silently watching her it doesn't do anything, but its behavior is clearly not normal. Now, folks, I, I, let me chime in here. This is a bogey. As I call them, bogey. She has a bogey on her. So a bogey is stalking her. And a bogey is looking for an entrance point to get into her world, to corrupt her, to possess her or to obsess her, or to infatuate her, all for the purpose of getting her to sin and then stealing her soul from God, to which he gives her the chance to direct all of her actions toward and sending it to hell. In this case, though, since Lori doesn't do the mortal sinning that her friends are doing, it decides... That it's going to just kill her the old-fashioned way, with a butcher knife. Back to Breitenbeck. It's not enough to make Laurie feel threatened, just uneasy. Many people have experienced such a feeling at some point when they encounter someone who doesn't quite follow the social script. Who steps over the line, but not too far. When you feel in danger But not enough to be really scared To make you break from routine Just enough to wonder Lori's understandable response Is to try desperately to ignore it To tell herself that she's imagining things Or overreacting Haddonfield is a peaceful friendly little town And Lori is a nice normal kid These sorts of things don't happen to people like her but of course, that is precisely to whom they do happen, and therein lies the horror. We want to very much—we want very much—to think that we live in a nice, safe, civilized world where we can safely go about our lives and where that sort of thing will never happen to us. But however safe and nice and civilized the world around us is, it retains the potential for evil, and hence for. That sort of thing As the chatty symmetry keeper tells Dr. Loomis Every town has something like this happen Every community has some inexplicable evil in its history And will at some point Or will at some point We today are familiar with this Names like Aurora, Parkland, Sandy Hook Were once unknown except to those who lived there <clears throat> what about Nashville? Nashville is now a town that has an unspeakable horror that, be, that be, uh, uh, had befallen it. The nightly news brings us daily accounts of other nightmarish outrages, often flaring up in quiet, peaceful little towns where it seemed nothing terrible could ever happen. Yet, Dr. Lo- like Dr. Loomis's colleagues and the people of Haddonfield, we still don't quite understand what we are dealing with. We futilely grasp at sensible solutions. We need more mental health research. We need more and more better gun control laws. We need a more rational foreign policy so as not to provoke terrorism. We need economic reform so that people won't be driven to crime. We need to teach men not to rape and own and own and own and own and own. Whether any of these things are actually needed is not the point. The point is that we are deluding ourselves. Nothing we do on Earth will eliminate evil from our midst. Evil is not a matter of a lack of education or economic desperation or bad laws or cultural norms or mental health. Evil, like love, is a choice. The choice to put the self first. Again, reading David Breitenbeck's, "Why the Original Halloween Movie is Horrors is a, uh, Original Horror Halloween Movies Horror is Ageless," as was said long ago. It is not what comes into a man that defies him, that defiles him, but what comes out of him: greed, lust, pride, irreverence, anger, hatred, and so on. This is why even in the safest, friendliest, most peaceful place on earth, you still can find evil. The point of Halloween is that there is no point. The shape doesn't have any larger agenda or recognizably human motivation. No trauma in its past, no failure of education. It is simply and purely evil. You can't counsel it, medicate it, heal it, or kill it. Or, as we heard, in the Terminator... It can't be bargained with, it can't be reasoned with, it doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear, and it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Really, parallel lines here. When Schwarzenegger has the Terminator, goes to the house and rings the doorbell and the unsuspecting woman opens the door and Schwarzenegger goes, Set a corner. And the innocent-looking middle-aged woman goes, Yes! And then he whips out the futuristic 50-caliber Clint Eastwood revolver from the future. Broom, 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 broom. And then goes and finds the other two. Sarah Connor. Yes. Boom, boom. Kills the other two. That puts the final Sarah Connor on the run. It's exactly. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. You know, in the, in the original and in, in, in some of the better made sequels on Halloween, you know, one might ask the question okay, what's the final cause? We like to deal in philosophical certainties here, ladies and gentlemen. That's what separates us from other radio shows and other media entities. Things matter. Process matters. So what's, Mike, what's the shape's final cause? Evil. The shape's final cause is evil. It is the damnation of, Of those souls that it stalks To hell Note that John Carpenter Very deftly left out Any religious remedy In any of the Halloween movies That he directed Instead what did he leave in Maybe he's telling us something About what he left in And what he took out Laurie Strode successfully beheads Michael Myers in Halloween 4, backs over him with a car, and then for good measure throws him in a 500-foot-deep well, beheaded. Somehow he comes back for Halloween 2020, (laughs) and finally Halloween the final chapter. How'd that happen? How's that possible? Because as David Breitenbeck is pointing out here, it's not a it's not a human. The shape is just an evil. He concludes, such is the case with all human evil. You can't kill or or eat. you can't kill evil or remove it from fafaity. All you can do is be aware of it. Recognize it for what it is and do your best to keep it at bay.